Bible. Turn with me, please, to the back of the hymnal, page 873. 873. It's a Lord's Day 2 of the Catechism. I'm sorry, Lord's Day 3 of the Catechism. Page 873, and we are looking together at question and answers 6 through 8. Let's read these responsibly. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No, God created man good and in his own image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God his creator love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you now to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness, the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and building up of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, Independence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. We begin our message this evening in the most exciting way possible with a grammar lesson. In grammar, we have conjunctions. And conjunctions are linking words. And there's a whole category of linking words, of course. Conjunctions reveal that there is more information to be had in the sentence. Conjunctions reveal that there's a little bit more to the story. And in question and answer 8 of our catechism, we find this word, unless. That's a conjunction. That little word puts out, front and center, the great work of the Holy Spirit that we call Regeneration. Question 8 asks, are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer, very unfortunately, is yes. Unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. So the answer is an absolutely despairing one until that conjunction comes. And it is a spiritual conjunction, if we may speak about it that way. Because it points to the work of the Holy Spirit in saving us from this 
desperate situation of being corrupted by sin. And again, this is called the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. If being generated, if your natural generation refers to when you were conceived and born, then regeneration refers to being born again. The Bible makes it clear that this new birth is absolutely necessary. Jesus says, none enters into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's a necessity. And tonight we are focusing on Scripture's description of regeneration as the circumcision of the heart. And we're going to look at this doctrine through that lens in three parts. The need for regeneration, the effect of regeneration, and the agent of regeneration. In other words, we're going to see why we need it. You know, why is it that God is providing this gracious act for us? What does it bring about? What's the result of it? And who does it? First then, we have the need for regeneration. We read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 10, where God speaks to the people of Israel and he lays down these following instructions in verses 12 and following. Listen to the verbs that he's commanding of the people of God. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 and following. He says, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. To fear, to walk, love, serve, keep. These instructions summarize the whole duty of man, which is to worship and obey the one true God. That is our calling. That is the absolute, unchanging instruction laid upon all men and women and boys and girls in all times and in all places to worship and obey the only true God. And it's, it's really important for us to recognize that even though Moses is laying down these instructions specifically to the Israelites, these same instructions are laid down to all mankind. It is a universal call. The problem is not simply that we choose not to worship and obey God. That is part of the problem, but that's not simply the problem, that we just choose not to obey and worship God. The problem is much deeper than that, and the truth of the problem is highly offensive to human sensibilities. The true nature of our problem is that Adam sinned and the guilt of his sin has passed to everyone. Adam sinned and the guilt of his sin has passed down to everyone. I especially want the children of this congregation to recognize this. When we do something wrong, even when we know that we did something wrong, it's hard to admit that we're guilty. It's even harder to admit that we're guilty from the moment we are born. Adam sinned and you sinned with him. Now, as you get older, maybe that will make a little bit more sense. 
But here's how it makes sense theologically, according to the Bible. Adam's role, as God created him, was that of a representative. Adam represented the entire human race. And what he did had consequences for all who came after him. All who came from his line would have an effect based on what he did. And what he did was sin. He incurred guilt from God, and therefore the whole human race is born in sin, conceived in sin. It's right there in Psalm 51. We sang it earlier. I am evil, conceived, and born in sin. Just like the decisions of parents affect children, just like the decisions of a boss affect the employees, but in an even more fundamental way, the decisions of our first father, Adam, have now passed down in terms of their consequences to the whole human race. He is the head of the human race. And as goes the head, so goes the body. Adam sinned, and whether we like it or not, we all sinned in him. This is how we are born guilty already. The, this is the, the, the old Bob Dylan song that says, uh, Stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. That's right. Spiritually dead. We sinned in Adam so that we were conceived as being united with him when he was there in the garden. And the consequences of his sin have passed down to us. Now, that is a lost teaching in our culture and in our age, even in the churches. We have to reclaim it. It is a highly uncomfortable and highly offensive teaching, but it is the truth of Holy Scripture. We are guilty from the moment of conception because our representative, Adam, sinned, and we sinned in him. Now, the duty of all humankind remains that we ought to worship and obey God, but Adam's corruption has been passed down to us, and so we don't, and we can't. God says to love him with our whole heart, and it is that precise place where Adam's sinful corruption is enthroned. God says, in your heart, love me totally, sincerely, with your whole self, but it is at that very center of who you are that the corruption of Adam bubbles up. The Belgian Confession talks about it like that. It's like a poisoned spring that bubbles up. It's meant to gross us out. That is original sin. It's the doctrine of original sin. So the Lord says, in light of this, in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 10, he says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Jeremiah, the prophet, says the very same thing. After naming this whole list of sins that the people are committing, the prophet points to their greatest need. And their greatest need is not in the land of Israel. Their greatest need is not social reform, better teaching, or anything else that is surface level. Jeremiah says, the same as Moses, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, lest my wrath, the Lord says, go before you like fire. This circumcision of the heart 
is one of the Bible's images for regeneration. And without it, Jeremiah warns, there is only the terror of God's wrath. Circumcise your hearts, lest my wrath go forth like fire. It is an absolute necessity. That is the need for regeneration. What then is the effect of regeneration? What does it do? Well, there are a surprising number of different images for this act in the Bible. Again, we're looking mainly at this image of circumcision as the heart tonight. But scripture also speaks of regeneration as being born again, born from above, born of God, being made alive, raised, resurrected, renewed, purified, cleansed, washed, sprinkled clean, given a new heart. And I think we could probably go on. But the point is that it is a matter of the heart. It can't be done by outward actions. And all of these images point to the effects of regeneration. Just by what these images are, they tell us a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does in regeneration. And with the image of circumcision of the heart, I want to narrow these effects down to two in particular. Two effects of regeneration is that the old ways are cut off and the new ways are made fruitful. The old ways... Corrupt in Adam are cut off. The new ways made alive in Christ are made fruitful. Now then, when Deuteronomy 10 and Jeremiah 4 both say that our hearts need to be circumcised, they both teach us that the ritual of circumcision was a spiritual symbol. There are many who get this confused and they say that it is merely a national symbol an outward symbol that you belong to the nation of Israel, and that's it. But that's not the case. It is that. But at a much more fundamental level, circumcision was a sacrament. A sacrament of the Old Testament. A spiritual symbol. Paul says in Romans 4 that it was a sign and seal of the righteousness of faith. It is a spiritual symbol. It points to the heart. It points to matters of the inward person. Now, I am assuming here that we don't have to explain the mechanics of circumcision. I think we all know what we're talking about. It is through that very outward act, brothers and sisters, that God was demonstrating in a way that truly could not be ignored. That the flesh of our inner self needed to be cut away. The sinful flesh, as the Bible speaks about it, it has to be cut off, done away with. The old stubbornness that Moses speaks of, circumcise the flesh of your heart, he says, and be no longer stubborn. Be no longer inclined toward evil, leaning always toward obstinacy. No more of that. It cuts away the deadness of sin. It it cuts when Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 2, for instance, that we were dead in transgressions and sins. That deadness is reversed. It is cut off. The corruption of Adam that we inherited. All these wicked, corrupt, infected things must be cut away. 
And when God regenerates us, that is precisely what he does. It leads to a second effect. Not only the cutting away of the old corrupt ways, it also leads to spiritual fruitfulness. The circumcised heart is a productive heart. The renewed heart is a heart that is made alive to God. So that now when the Lord actually gives us his good commandments, it does not come to a heart of stone and fall away. It comes now to a heart that is made alive, that has been warmed to the goodness and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And now that heart with true spiritual power begins actually to obey. To worship and obey God as we were always intended to. That heart that was otherwise totally corrupted in sin and the guilt of our first father, Adam, now begins with invincible spiritual power to begin to obey. And I want you to see the miraculous nature of this effect. This is a miracle of God's mercy. It cannot be done by you. The great twist of this is that even though this circumcision is commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 10, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says through Moses, in the future, I will circumcise your heart. I will do it. You can't get the job done. I will do it myself. It is a miracle of his mercy. It is an act that is done upon the inward self. That's the effect of regeneration. Lastly, this evening, then, we see the agent of regeneration. Who's doing this? Who actually gets this job done for us? We return to that very difficult question and answer eight from the catechism. Are we really so corrupt that we can't do anything that is pleasing to God? Are we really inclined toward all evil? Yes. Unless... We are born again by the Spirit of God. There's that blessed conjunction. The reversal. The particular person of the Trinity who is tied to the work of regeneration is the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he says, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. So do you see that that the whole existence of the nation of Israel was not merely an outward national identity kind of thing. But all the things that were placed upon the people of God in terms of outward rituals were pointing to inward spiritual realities. And Paul says it's not enough just to be a Jew outwardly. You must be one inwardly. Not just circumcision on the outside, but particularly on the inside. As he goes on to say, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Meaning the law. The letter here is another way that Paul talks about the law. The law can't do it. It's the Holy Spirit through the gospel who comes and cuts away the heart of flesh. This Holy Spirit 
is the gift from heaven. He's talked about in the New Testament many times as the gift. The promised Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He is the helper, as Jesus referred to him in John chapter 16. It's to your advantage that I go, Jesus says. You won't see me any longer, but if I don't go, I can't send the helper to come and convict the world of righteousness and and of sin. This Holy Spirit comes to the heart, even the hardest heart, and turns it toward God. He comes and, as the Canons of Dort tell us, He sweetly and powerfully bends our wills. So that indeed, brothers and sisters, we do choose God because our deadened hearts have been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God, sweetly and powerfully bending our dead wills. Taking the sword of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit cuts away the flesh of our sin. He kills the corrupted inner self. He makes the sinfulness of our first birth null and void, and he makes us born again. He awakens in you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. If you have ever wanted to follow the commandments of God better, it is because the Holy Spirit gave you that desire, caused you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he turns you, brothers and sisters, otherwise an object of wrath, into a person after God's own heart. And he does all of this by his own sovereign grace. Jesus says famously in John chapter 3 that this Holy Spirit blows where he wills. Where he wills. It is a mysterious, wonderful, powerful miracle of the mercy of God. So that there is hope even for the most twisted sinner. There is hope even for the stoniest hearts. It is up to God. It is up to the Holy Spirit. He blows where He wills. It is with this Spirit you must plead for the souls of unbelieving loved ones. Because He is able to do it, not you. You may offer the Spirit. You may offer Christ your unbelieving loved ones. But the Spirit alone has the sovereign power to regenerate. And it is this regenerating grace you must remember when you feel cold and hardened in your love for Christ. If He made you alive when you were dead, He can warm your affections for Christ again. With this promise ringing within us daily, let us then begin to worship and obey God from our renewed hearts. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and for the great doctrines that have been summarized and handed down to us. Teach them to our own hearts and help us to articulate them to our covenant children, that they might walk upright and in maturity of faith all their days. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.